TBN FM Ann Arbor, and uh, the revolution will not be funded. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to a pre-taped show. Arundhati Roy uh, came to visit the University of Michigan to talk about her introduction to Annihilation of Caste by B.R. Ambedkar. Um, we taped this interview on October 6, 2014. Stay tuned. After this musical break, we'll get to the interview. बार तेरा हो दूजा बार पानी दा Arundhati Roy was born in 1959 in Shillong, India. She studied architecture in New Delhi, where she now lives. She has worked as a film designer and screenplay writer in India. Roy is the author of the novel The God of Small Things, for which she received the 1997 Booker Prize. The novel has been translated into dozens of languages worldwide. She has written several nonfiction books, including The Cost of Living, Power Politics, War Talk, An Ordinary Person's Guide to Empire, and Public Power in the Age of Empire. Roy was featured in the BBC television documentary Dam Edge, which is about the struggle against big dams in India. A collection of interviews with Arundhati Roy by David Barsamian was published as The Checkbook and the Cruise Missile. She is a contributor to the Verso anthology Kashmir, The Case for Freedom. Her newest books are Field Notes on Democracy, Listening to Grasshoppers, published by Haymarket Books, and Walking with the Comrades, published by Penguin. Roy is the recipient of the 2002 Lannan Foundation Cultural Freedom Prize. Arundhati Roy came to the University of Michigan uh, to give a talk about the book Annihilation of Caste by B.R. Ambekar. Um, her introduction is called The Doctor and the Saint. Arundhati uh, has just driven in from Chicago. Um, w- welcome. I'm so, so glad you made it. Thank you. Uh, and thanks. And Anthony brought you here and, and your friend John. So it's glad you guys made it. And you flew in yesterday from India. Yes, so, I did. So the jet lag is... is jet the, lag is kicking, kicking in big time. So I hope I don't talk rubbish, but I'll try to make sense. 
<laughs> you couldn't even if you've tried. <laughs> I've, I've watched some of your, your talks online by now, um, and it's, it's always uh, wonderful. Even if there's cell phones going off in the crowd, uh, you just keep going and say the most articulate and um, important things. Um, but anyway, you're here at Michigan. You're going to be giving a talk at Rackham. Um, and it is in support of the book Annihilation of Caste uh, by B.R. Ambedkar. Um, and you've written the introduction, The Doctor and the Saint, uh, for the book. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the occasion? Because this is a reissue of an undelivered 1936 speech that was to be given to the, the Congress in India. Um, and why, why did you feel like it was important to, because it is important to write the introduction and frame this mo most recent publication? Well, uh, the Annihilation of Caste uh, is an 80-year-old text of a speech that was never de delivered. Dr. Ambedkar, who I think is very little known here, but is loved enormously by the lowest uh, caste in the caste system who are the untouchables which the is dalits. The, the dalits which is you know the untouchables in india the opposite of what you mean uh, by untouchables here in america which is you know the kind of hollywood uh, version but here i never thought of that yes we're talking elite. about people a uh, people who are uh, you know untouchability is institutionalized and sanctioned in the scriptures and a whole community of people that numbers almost 100 million now are considered unworthy of touch and polluting and so on. Now, you know, why did I write this introduction? The um, person who published it, he had worked for many years annotating this text, which, which, has, which is a very beloved text, but once again, it, you know, amongst the circles that are uh, th uh, this book you you wouldn't find in a bookshop on the street but you know it's published in pamphlets and it's circulated and loved in the dalit community and he self published it didn't it because he, he, he self published it because he was invited to deliver this speech uh, at a sort of upper you know a sort of privileged hindu caste reformist organization invited him to give this the speech but then they asked him whether they could look at the text in advance and when they looked at the text they were shocked because uh, dr ambedkar basically denounces hinduism in this text and and asks uh, dalits to convert to any other religion but to, to leave the folds of Hinduism. Because he himself chose to convert to Buddhism. Eventually, before his that death. was in just before his death. But so he was himself born into a community called the Mahars, uh, who were an untouchable community. Uh, I, I just hate using this word, you know, untouchable and so on, but he uses it, so I use it. But they were a community who historically, historically were expected to. To, to hang pots around their necks to collect the spit because it was polluting and to tie brooms to their hips so that they would wipe away the footprints, you know. And let me say that this sounds archaic, but, uh, you know, it's not that Mahars or Untouchables are expected to do this today, but there is still the practice continues in, in the most brutal and demeaning ways. But 
you know, I mean, coming back to why I decided to write it, um, I was asked to write it, and I, you know, started researching it because what happened was that when he published Annihilation of Caste, it was really an, uh, it was not an attack on the Hindu right, which he, he, he just thought that was beyond the pale. You know, it was not even worth arguing with them. His target was the people who considered themselves moderate and liberal, the, the privileged castes, but who considered themselves good people, you know. Mm. And the most well-known Hindu of them all, Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi chose to take issue with Dr. Ambedkar and replied. And then there was a debate. But actually, uh, their conflict had begun a long time ago. And, and Ambedkar was really Gandhi's nemesis. And that has been kept out of the history books by our court historians in some ways, you know, and in when India, I, in India, but, but everywhere, in everywhere else, everywhere also too, because, right. because I, I'm sure that, you know, the people I speak to tomorrow won't know who he is, but he was an extraordinary man, you know, and when I started to research the history of this conflict, it took me back into the writings of both Ambedkar and Gandhi. And Gandhi was a great supporter of the Hindu caste system. You know, he campaigned against untouchability, which was the ritualistic performative end of caste. But caste is not about ritual. Caste is about entitlement. Who is allowed to own the land? Who has access to the water? Who can be educated? Who can control knowledge? And all of this... Gandhi had no problem with. You know, he just said the caste system is brilliant, it's Hinduism's genius, only we should not have untouchability, you know. So so then I started to ask myself, how did... his ideas even to transform that? Because that almost seems like something that you could say, but it's meaningless. Because, does, does that make sense? Because the um, having caste... Um, as part of democracy, but keeping caste is almost a way of shooting democracy in the foot before it has a chance to walk, it seems like. Well, let's say that these debates were happening at a time when there was no democracy. You know, we, right. were, okay. we were at the time colonized by, uh, by the British. And um, the, the thing is that it was a very interesting moment because at the turn of the century between the 19th and 20th century, suddenly the idea of the nation state appeared, you know, as opposed to the idea of empire. And so came the anxiety over representation. And who was, who was able to say in, a, in, a, in India, which is more a continent than a country, you know, where there are Sikhs and Hindus and all these different castes and are the you know indigenous people and 3000 languages and so many religions how were you going to decide who had the right to represent whom and the untouchables numbered 44 million at that time oh. and it was very very important for the mainstream congress party i mean of whom gandhi was a major face 
to claim that they represented these 44 million, mm -hmm. you know. So how do you bring them into the Hindu fold but keep them in the servants' quarters, you know, because he didn't want to upset the status quo. It's, it's a, I mean, I know it's complicated to explain no. to an audience that doesn't, no, but doesn't know the history of this, but what I want to say is that... Uh, Substantively, what, what I say in this in introduction is that the man who the world knows as Mahatma Gandhi, as perhaps one of the greatest modern-day saints, his greatness is being called into question, not by me, but by just looking into his own writings. Reading which, his autobiography. Which are, yes. which are absolutely uh, astounding, you know, because... Mm -hmm. When I was researching this, I, 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 I began to ask myself, how, how could a man who supported all this be called a Mahatma? When was he called a Mahatma? Who called him a Mahatma? Yes. And then I, I realized that, that that title was bestowed on him in 1915 when he came back from South Africa. So I, I was like, what did he do in South Africa? You know, he was in South Africa for 20 years before he came right. to India. And then... You read the things that his own writings, you know, I, I mean, I would not presume to even make an inference about you, about him. I just keep quoting him. Yes. Because in South, he arrives in South Africa in 1894 as a lawyer, you know, to a rich Indian businessman. And then he, he supports the British in their colonization of South Africa in the Boer Wars, in the t at the turn of the century, he supports them uh, uh, when the Zulus rose up and there was this massacre, you know. And then, really, y you, you know, let me, let me just give you a small example of how this, the shock to my system began when I, all of us have learned in school, and I'm sure m many Americans have learned that Gandhi's political awakening began when he was thrown off a whites only train in Peter Maritzburg in South Africa and then he you know he he was roused to injustice well I but think because that was in the film Gandhi yes that film that film you know needs to be seriously questioned because as you say Ambedkar yeah. was not even given a walk-on role he, he doesn't figure have. into the history yeah. of it and Gandhi's first battle in South Africa was to to his successful battle was to have a third entrance opened in the Durban post office because he, he said that Indians should not have to share the same entrance as Kafirs, which is what he called black folks, you know. And then, and, and then there was a history of what exactly happened in South Africa. It was only in the last year, in 1913, that he actually joined people in, a, in, in, you know, in, in protest, but otherwise... The, the whole battle was about how to ensure that Indian businessmen should have the rights to trade in the Transvaal, which was only open to, you know, how could they ride on the backs of Brit British colonialism to expand trading? And th those were the battles that he fought. So when he came back... Not to, so in, heroic, really. Not heroic. And, you know, he keeps writing these letters. He goes to prison. Then he starts campaigning in prison for separate facilities for Indians who should not be allowed to... Who should not be made to share share their... Even the prison with what he calls savages, you know? So all of this was extremely disturbing. And, and then, public. You in are, public. People in are public. able... 
able to find this? Because like, this is research yeah, this that is you just, found. This is up. just the collected works of Mahatma Gandhi available, you know, in digital format or in whatever. So, But how curious that the myth of Gandhi and what he's meant to be, which is this type of saint, is something that it was more important for India to have and to control, but, perhaps. But or so, so that is why, you know, Ambedkar has been in some ways written out of history, you know, and he is written in in certain convenient ways because he was an extraordinary man, a very erudite man, and he really brought intelligence to this very multifaceted national movement. But he questioned, uh, you know, there's a f the first time he ever encountered Gandhi face to face was in 1931 in London at, at, at the second round table conference. And Gandhi, uh, because Ambedkar actually got a scholarship and studied in 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 Colombia, you know. So when he came back, he was very uh, erudite and scholarly young man. And Gandhi met him, and had read his critiques of the Congress Party, which were taken to be critiques of the homeland, you know, because nobody should criticize the Congress Party. And he he asked Ambedkar about it, you know, how are you critiquing the homeland in this way? And Ambedkar said to him, Gandhiji, I have no homeland. You know, no untouchable worth his name would call this his land. And, and Gandhi just kept trying to put a lid on this debate on caste, which, which, which continues to have a lid on it internationally, not in India, but internationally. You know, why would it be that apartheid and racism and sexism and economic imperialism, all of this is discussed, but caste somehow has passed under the radar, you know, and it's the most brutal system of social hierarchy perhaps human society has known. I mean, who, who calls a whole million, millions of people untouchable? You know, who says that every caste, every group of these people must have a hereditary occupation? If, if your hereditary occupation is cleaning <laughs> then your children and your children's children forever. must do it forever. And this Gandhi said quite openly. And, and I'm afraid even our current prime minister says quite openly in, in some of his writings, you know. So, uh, it's a it's a huge Pandora's box, and what is shocking, at least Gandhi wrote down his views and they are available. Why is it that they have been they they have not been aired, you know, by mm. uh, the official historical narrative? You know, wh wh how 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 has this been allowed to happen? And if you I mean, there are, there's a part in, in The Doctor and the Saint which is just an empirical analysis of how caste plays out today in the mm -hmm. modern neoliberal, you know, democracy, the free market-friendly democracy. And, and, uh, well, how most of the, the higher castes own the, corporate, the corporations. Yes. It's, it's a it's, connection it's such that a, you can't deny. You right? can't deny because it's, I mean, you just... You, you can, I mean, I've given you the names and the dates and the, you know, the, the numbers. So they own this, this small caste to which Gandhi belonged, the trader caste, who are the Vaishyas or the Baniyas, as they are called. They are the owners of the major corporations. The media outlets. They own the media. Like, for example, Reliance, which is the biggest 
Corporation India, it, 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 it owns ports and mines and petrochemicals and textiles and educational institutes and the internet and 27, 24-hour news channels, you know. So between the Baniya, and they're just 2% of the population, this particular caste, trading caste, but they control the economy, the big economy, the small economy, you know, the they are the rural money lenders and most of rural India is in the clutches of debt, you know. And, and we're seeing so, farmers are committing suicide in record so, numbers so you because see, of this debt. Yeah, I mean, you can't, I'm, I'm not saying that farmers are committing suicide because of the caste system, but I'm saying <laughs> that caste and this cap- capitalism have, have uh, become, you know, they have um, become a very potent and deadly combination you know, an alloy. And, and democracy and capitalism have entrenched and modernized caste. It hasn't removed it by any means, you know. Like, uh, all, all the world heard about the famous December 2012 gang rape of the girl on the bus, the murder and gang rape of that girl. But that same year... 1,500 Dalit women were raped by upper caste men. And that's... It's reported, the thumb, right? That's yeah. a reported. And the thumb rule is, is only 10% are reported, you know. That same year, 651 Dalits were murdered by, by the upper caste. So it's a, it's a very violent system that is kept in place by by the permanent threat of and the regular application of egregious violence. So the question I ask is, how, does, how do you assess a doctrine of violence that rests on a foundation of, of such violence? You know, what does it mean? It seems it means that this man's story needs to be brought into the national story. It needs so to be brought into the international story, you know. It, 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 people need to know what's going on. It's, it's like uh, a kind of apartheid, but very complicated because it's not color-coded, you know. So it passes under the radar. And the other reason is that caste is associated with, you know, yoga and Hinduism and Gandhi and mysticism. And so right. people don't understand it and they get confused by it but it's not that confusing we have to you know uh, we have to we have to understand it and then the other reason is that you know a lot of the the big indian well known indian intellectuals are, are do do belong to the left and the left traditionally in india has just uh, their eyes just kind of glaze over when you mention caste because it doesn't fit into the the kind of classical Marxist class analysis, you know. So uh, the left has not known what to do with caste. So you have major intellectuals writing about identity and development and freedom and all of that with no mention of this just as if it doesn't exist or as if it's been eradicated. And 
So are you one of the only people who has been brave enough then to speak up on this? No, 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 no. I don't want any accolades well, well, on that. No, I, no uh, you know, it's, uh, let me say... I let, believe let that to say, be true, though. I'm no, not trying no. to give you a false no. uh, <laughs> praise or something. No, no, I, I'm not, uh, I, I, I don't mind, uh, you know, accepting praise when I think I deserve it. But I'm just saying that there are millions of people who are aware of this, who have been fighting it. I, I mean, as I said, this this story is known to the Dalit community and has been known, uh, you know, for What's happened is that is isolated. People don't know what Gandhi was up to in South Africa. Some, you know, the left has a critique of Gandhi because he was, you know, from, from, from the moment he landed in India was sponsored by the major industrialists. You know, he was like a corporate sponsored <laughs> NGO, you know. The Birlas supported him, set up his ashram, all of that. So, Everyone has, uh, you know, critiques, but somehow they... It's cast is still they not are, being Yeah, no, they are sort of with. independent of each other, you know. They, they, and, and when you actually, uh, when you actually, you know, bring the strings of the balloon down and tie them down, and you see Gandhi, for example, he constantly, he, he, he was very pretty about how he was, you know, so self-contradictory and he didn't see the need to be consistent and, you know, he just, uh, he said uh, his truth, he just grows from truth to truth. But actually, when you look at the things he said about women, the things he said about workers, the things he said about uh, African, black Africans and his position on caste, actually it was very consistent, you know? And very terrifyingly so. Yes. And and I, I'm also one of those people that in during college, he, Gandhi was sort of this hero. I think I had seen the film and started reading about his life. But at one point, I had the autobiography, mm. and I stopped reading it because it wasn't... Because the, there are honest things in it. Yeah. And they were things that I didn't want to know about Gandhi. Yeah. And And I'm ashamed to say that at a certain point, I just... I, I let go of that. Like, mm. I just thought I'll freeze Gandhi in the story that they've wanted to, to tell until this moment, reading, reading yeah. your book again. Was, I mean, it is actually, uh, you know, now what ha what's happened is Gandhi's an industry. You know, he's real estate, he's academic courses, he's, you know, there's so much vested interest. Still running interest, for government power. So much vested interest that uh, people... People don't want to deal with it, you know. Yes, uh, you, you know. And traditionally, there's also been this, this, this argument from the left that oh, you shouldn't criticize Gandhi because he stood between the moderates and the Hindu fascists. Now, the Hindu fascists are in power, and what I say here is that the Hindu right has no problem in, in embracing Gandhi because though they did differ in their attitude to the Muslim population, the, for example, the organization called the RSS, to which our current Prime Minister Narendra Modi belongs, they openly, they openly admire Hitler. He's in their pantheon. They openly say the Muslims of India are like the Jews of Germany. And, and so wasn't on. there a massacre during Modi's, there where was he was a, a governor of a, a region before in, this election? He was the chief minister in, in Gujarat, which is the same state Gandhi comes from. And oh. five days ago, five days ago was uh, Gandhi's birthday, birth anniversary mm -hmm. on the 2nd of October. And Modi 
announced that every government officer has to come to office. It's a national holiday, but now they have to come to office and clean their toilets, right, and sweep the streets. And really, That'll it's like saying, you know, just once a year clean your <laughs> toilets and the rest of the year let someone else do it for you. Exactly. And let's maintain caste. You know, yes. in 1936, the year that um, Ambedkar wrote Annihilation of Caste, which is a scholarly, beautifully researched, brilliant indictment of the caste system, Gandhi wrote an extraordinary essay. It was called The Ideal Bhangi. Bhangi uh-huh. is the word he used for scavengers, you know, <laughs> cleaners. And he had this essay about what all the qualities of an ideal, an ideal bhangi one. should be. And, and that, and after all the qualities were listed, he said, and the most important thing is they should never presume to use their knowledge to earn money because this is a divine duty, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how a man like this came to be known as the living Christ. And or the also, saint, right. And also, I don't know how he is in America, a great saint of the African-American uh, community. And you have to read the things he said about, uh, about Africans, you know? I mean, how... How could this be happening? It's all hidden in plain sight. Right. It's all out there. He never tried to hide it. He never tried to pretend. It's all there. But who's tried to hide it all this time? And why? why, You know? That's why I said, because he's the saint of the status quo. (laughs) He's, he's, He's the person you go to for confession and then, you know, come back and let the world carry on as always. Which reminds me of a connection that you made in the introduction to um, Martin Luther King Jr., his his legacy, and how corporations in the U.S. have corrupted what his intentions. I think the example was you said that um, maybe a, the foundation in Atlanta is funded by Coca-Cola. And, no, I think there's a whole no, uh, a whole list of of corporations. Here, of, is it? Yeah, it's in this. In your your hmm. book published this year, Capitalism: A Ghost Story. Yes. Um, and where it's something like Martin Luther King and the free market, like some sort of yes, like his support yes, of the free exactly, market. Exactly. Exactly. They, they what just they're switched. Is. They've they've actually corporatized. Even his memory was dangerous for them, you know? So they've kind of given it a Botox makeover and corporatized it. And Sounds very ch- American, yeah, too. Yeah, and, and And it's very interesting because Martin Luther King, you know, used to say that Gandhi was the living Christ and so on because... And, and I think that's very interesting that Martin Luther King was perhaps more Gandhian than Gandhi, you know. He leads a sanitation worker strike. But here I have a quote of Gandhi saying it's, just, it's, it's completely wrong for sweepers to go on strike, you know. In Richard Attenborough's film, you remember, everyone remembers the salt satyagraha which which was a brilliant piece of political theater where gandhi led millions of people to make salt and break the british salt and laws down. and they were beaten, beaten down, down. Yes. that was in 1930 in 1927 ambedkar led what was known as the mahad satyagraha 
No one in India knows about it except the Dalits. But it was basically, he led tens of thousands of Dalits through the town of Mahad to, to drink water in the public tank. Where they were not allowed to drink. They were not allowed to drink. They were beaten up. They were dispersed. Then the Brahmins purified the tank by putting cow dung into it, whatever. And Gandhi said, you know, uh, the word satyagraha, I don't know how many people here know it, but satyagraha was what Gandhi's political practice was, you know, the what they call the soul force or the truth force. And Gandhi said, but no, when untouchables agitate for their, lie, for their rights, in this way, it becomes duragraha, which is devilish force. And they should just uh, resort to sweet persuasion. It's so confusing. It just doesn't so make sense. So between salt that and water, there's it, a yes. toxic universe. You know? Exactly. And the fact that these, these people weren't allowed to drink water, which is more necessary than salt for survival and, and, and being kept from water. Is there, so is there any... Today, like the, the current prime minister... Modi. Who come, Modi, who comes from the state of Gujarat, which is also where Gandhi comes from, you know, the... the the, the election campaign was run on the basis of look at Gujarat, look at the development in Gujarat. Of course, let's just forget about the fact that, you know, a few thousand people were massacred on the streets and women were burned to death and gang rape. Can we just move on from there? Let's talk about the bus rape, but let's not talk about the Muslim women's rape. You know, that's how politics works. But even his critics who bring up the genocide of... Muslims in Gujarat, they also don't talk about the fact that a, a recent uh, study just a couple of years ago was done in the villages of Gandhi's Gujarat, where caste is practiced in 98% of the villages. Dalits don't have access to land, Dalits don't have accept, access to water. But all this is just underground. I mean, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get foregrounded at all. If someone becomes... How does someone not shake off the term Dalit? Because could you become then Christian? Could you become Buddhism? Could you reinvent yourself <clears throat> well, in Dalits, some way? Or would it term, just always... Actually, the term Dalit is a term that they use proudly. I mean, or, you know, it was a political mm. term at, at one point. Yes. But, uh, you see, before the turn of the century, millions, millions of uh, then known as untouchables today, we call them Dalits, but millions of them converted to Islam, to Buddhism, to Christianity, to escape the scourge of untouchability. It's only when the politics of empire turned right. into wanted the politics the of the nation state and the Hindus wanted the numbers yes. that they started preaching, uh, I mean, started trying to, what they had this movement called the Shuddhi movement, which was meant to purify the impure, can you imagine, and bring them back. And today, I mean, I could show you, I have the clippings. Now, again, it started the Shuddhi movement, shamelessly, to purify the impure, as in purify the Dalits and bring them into the Hindu fold. But and with no real chance to move forward ever, even you know, once you're purified. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you... What happens is is quite clever. All the fire and brimstone on the debates around caste are focused on uh, po uh, what you call it here, uh, affirmative action. Mm. So on affirmative action. But in India, 
affirmative action only applies to 2.4% of the Dalit population, because that's the percentage of Dalits that are graduates. So you make all the noise about 2.4%, even denying them right. affirmative action, but forget the 98%, you know? That are still sort of, it's like their footprints Yeah, that are landless, and, and yeah. even the... Even the radical battles in mm. India, whether it's the Maoists in the forest or whether it's the anti-dam movement. But you said everyone would probably be a Maoist. If you look at what's like the, um, to be called a Maoist in India right yeah. now, it would be you, That's it would any, be me. Anybody, uh, anybody who questions up. the state. But what I'm saying is even the radical movements mm. are, have been so pushed to the wall that they are fighting corporations taking over people's lands. But then, by definition, the fight is limited to people who have land. Exactly. You know, the Dalits don't have land. You know, indigenous people have land inside the forests, and they are the bulwark of this movement. Or the anti-dam movement is, is, is still people who have land, right. saying our land is going to be submerged. But, that's, but yeah. in the 60s, in the, in the late 70s, you know, I mean, the late 60s, when the first really revolutionary movement started, they were talking about the redistribution of land, you know? But now you're just talking about whoever has a little being allowed to hold on to it. Right. So... And India has, I mean, has so, it seems like there's so much potential, there's so much land, there could be something well, different. Well, not people. really, because India's, you know, very water-stressed and... Um, you know, it has a huge population, right. and 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 farmland is getting fragmented. A lot of, I mean, it's it's, it's an incredibly co complicated. Yeah, complicated. well, it, 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 you know, how how do you see your way through it? I mean, for example, in in this book, I talk about the fact that normally Dalits would have been the ideal constituency of the left. But the left is led by upper castes, you know, educated people who, who just don't see caste. And Ambedkar had a huge falling out with the left during a big mill, mill worker strike where, you know, even in the mills, even amongst the laborers, the Dalits were given the poorer paid jobs because it involved the better paid jobs involved holding the thread in your mouth, and this was considered polluting. And so Ambedkar had... A, a big debate with this big communist leader saying, you know, first we have to fight for equality amongst the lab laborers, you know, and, and, and he refused and it led to a falling out. So, so he says very famously, Ambedkar, that caste is not just about the division of labor, but about the division of laborers, you know. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I, I hope I made sense. And oh, I was just like, <laughs> you know what? It sounds like it would be useful if someone in Hollywood could make a movie about Ambedkar. I I, I keep saying that the they should make they should remake the Attenborough version, and uh, Ben Kingsley should play this Gandhi. <laughs> yes. <know>? Yes. <laughs> And then, so any, anyone have. out there listening, 
<laughs> who wants to take up this idea? They, they can get in touch. Actually, right? be you know, you're absolutely right. It would make an amazing film, an amazing film. Because it is, and it's truly heroic. Yeah. And what you said is so much of the population in India, this is their hero. This is the Dalit he hero. Is, he is so loved. You go into any house and you will see a photograph of him. You know, he's adored. You won't find Gandhi in the houses of the poor, you know. He's the well, saint of the status quo. He, and he didn't have a place for them. <clears throat> like I keep saying, you know, Gandhi practiced the rituals of poverty, but he didn't seem to understand that poverty is not about having no money. It's about having no power, you know, and he accumulated power. He did. And in the title, The Doctor and the Saint, at some points I was thinking um, Ambedkar, is, he is the saint. No, I think, some, I think, no? you know, okay. I think it would be, I think it would be dangerous to start walking on that path, you know, because I think all of us deserve to be questioned and not deified, you know, everybody, everybody, uh, you just end up in a very dangerous space once you start that, you know. That's... That's the better lesson, isn't it? Thank you so much. Thank really you. enjoyed Thanks. this. Thanks, T. Thanks to the Liz for engineering. Thanks also to Jim Plank for sending field notes on democracy, listening to grasshoppers, and the latest book out this year, Capitalism, A Ghost Story, with Haymarket Books. And thanks to our studio audience, Anthony, Patrick, and John. Thanks for listening. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
pretty, pretty. Pretty, 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 She's very pretty. She's very pretty. Pretty, 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 She's very pretty. She's very pretty. She's very, 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 very pretty. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Pretty. Five seconds left to go. Hentzik gets the puck, sends it all the way in over the goal, and time is going to 